The Boundless Pursuit Podcast is proudly sponsored by Built Wild DNA. Fuel your day on the water in a constructive and healthy way. Energy and fitness supplements designed with the outdoorsman in mind. Get your physicality in line with your mentality and maximize your time on the water. Use promo code BOUNDLESSPURSUIT for 10% off of your next order at BuiltWildDNA.com. Welcome to Boundless Pursuit, a weekly podcast providing motivation, entertainment, and education to anglers and outdoorsmen. I hope that the stories you'll find here will encourage you to chase your passion more fervently, to open your mind to new opportunities and perspectives. Your engagement and feedback is critical to the growth of this show, and I would love to hear your suggestions on topics or potential guests. You can reach me at boundlesspursuitfishing at gmail.com or at my website, www.boundless-pursuit.com. That's where you'll find all related articles, media, and merchandise. Please remember, the show will gain traction from your support. Be sure to like, comment, and share this podcast to your friends and connections. I'm your host, David Graham. Now let's get on to today's episode. On this podcast, I always favor the guys that take the grassroots approach. I love the underdogs, the less appreciated or underutilized fish species and approaches. Today's guest is Keith Severns, and he takes a really unique approach to his pursuit of one of the most underutilized or underappreciated species of monster fish here in the U.S., the flathead catfish. And the flathead is one of the few species here in the U.S. with the capability of reaching over 100 pounds. So that puts this fish in a rare class. But this isn't a fish that wants to eat stink bait or garlic-soaked hot dogs. These fish are predators, and predators will eat lures. And Keith chases these marauding brawlers with artificial lures, and he fishes from inflatable float tubes. So moving under the power of his own legs, he positions himself in, over, and around all the snags and tangles, cover, and concealment that flatheads like to live in, where he's dropping lures right into their home. And these fish are notoriously hard fighters, and a lot has to go right and certainly be done right to assure success. So during this conversation, Keith pitches very emphatically why anglers should be chasing flatheads and how they can up their odds. And these catfish guys, they always seem gritty and ready for a fight. And Keith definitely brings that kind of energy into this conversation where we really need to dispel a lot of the myths about the fish. This is a bad dude who's absolutely got this fish dialed in. This is Keith Severns. <laughs> Damn. I just, all I had to do is turn the damn volume up. But anyway, all right, man. One last swig of coffee, and then we'll roll into it. All right. So, Heath. All right. Anyway, man, I'm excited I got you on here because you know this podcast. I, there's no rhyme or reason to this thing. I'm doing freshwater, saltwater, East Coast, West Coast. I got dudes that have come on from the Arctic, guys from South America. I got a dude from Germany that I'm talking to tomorrow. So it's like, it's all the stuff I just find interesting. You know what I mean? And some of it's stuff yeah. I don't even, some of it's like not even necessarily stuff I'm interested in, but it's fishing and I want to learn about it. But you specialize in a species that I find 
very fascinating. Like, and I, oh, and I read, like, like in America, it's like top tier, like heavyweights. You know what I mean? Like we have our like, you know, it's like I, I look at it like fighting, like boxing or like MMA or something where there's weight classes. And it's like we have our heavyweights in the United States. Yeah, and we treat like, them like dog poo. It, they, the we, flatheads don't get the respect they deserve. They are the freshwater shark, baby. They are the apex predator of freshwater. Yeah. <laughs> you well, know? there you go. The flathead is what no we're respect. talking about. I, I, I love you're talking about the you're talking about the coolest fish yeah. on the planet. One of the coolest fish on the planet. Yeah. Well, they is- have to be one of God's favorites. They just have to. You know why I know that, David? It, they come in so many different. Co- every bass looks like another bass. Every yeah, blue uh-huh. cat looks like every other blue cat, except for the piebalds. Every bullhead, basically. Flatheads. Yeah. <laughs> I've never met. I've never caught two flatheads that look alike. And they, I, I catch them brindles, multi, uh, rusties, grays, uh, blacks, palominos. There's even nuclear yellows. I mean, the, the the gamut just goes on and on. The olives, yeah, the browns. There's greens. The colors of the flathead spectrum uh, and the way they're all so unique. And then beyond color, they all have certain scars all over their bodies, mm-hmm. too. You can always, you don't need to tag a flathead. They all have the specific yeah. scars. They're crazy, man. I love them. Well, they have that just warrior, like, just monster look to them. You know what I mean? It's like there's, there's like, sporty, little, beautiful, pretty fish. And then there's just the ones that, like, their whole purpose is to just be, like, warriors. And I don't know, man. Like, that, like, that gets me fired up more than... Granted, there's a time and place for something like, like a rainbow trout. But there's also a time and place to go into the like into the darkness, fishing at night for a fish that frightens you. You know what I mean? And I feel like the the flathead's kind of in that category. But we pretty much just opened a can of worms on this conversation that I knew was inevitable, and that is, and maybe we'll start with this just to set the tempo. This that is like this weird dynamic with the American angler where it seems like there's this contempt for a lot of our biggest, strongest, meanest fish. And I don't understand it. I don't know where it started, why it is, but uh, yeah, you're certainly right. The flathead is uh, with a lot of people been thrown into that category of like, I don't know. I don't want to say undesirable, but like, you know, they're 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 cursed with the fact they have a big mouth and they eat other fish. And some of those other fish yeah. might be fish people like catching they, more. I they've don't know. become a they've become a scapegoat, David, in yes. essence. Um, you know, these guys in Georgia, they'll clean out their their bream or their readier sunfish and they'll say it was the flathead catfish to do. The flatheads keep systems balanced. They mm-hmm. are na- nature's way of checks and balances. We need those big predators and our freshwater systems. Our systems are getting overrun with rough fish species. Carp, gar, buffalo, quill bag. Uh, you, you know what I mean? All these mm-hmm. uh, rough species, um, we need big predators. The problem is, I think a lot of a lot of it is the biologists didn't really know back in the day. The, the biologists gave flatheads a bad name and say they ate everything. And then, you know, people listen to them. 
the biologists were only book taught the money making hatchery species, the bass, the you know these these species you stock in the reservoirs that people pay their good money to come fit. Nobody cared about the flathead back then, and they 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 were, they were just thought of as a trash fish. Yeah. Um, they didn't realize the value of them. I think. Uh, I think a lot more systems would be way better fisheries if they had bigger flatheads in them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Systems are getting overrun with shad. I guess it doesn't, every waterway is different, but I I do believe that the flatheads way of checks and balances is, and I can prove it through this. My, I love all species of fish. I love them all. I, if anything tugs on my rod, I'm down for it. Yeah. My best multi-species fisheries are also my best flathead fisheries. Mm-hmm. And, and that says a lot right there. If I'm catching the biggest, baddest flatheads from these systems, but also catching nice crappie, nice bass, you know, uh, you have a healthy system. Yeah. Well, it's such a shallow way of thinking. I, I've seen, I've observed... A lot of the biggest, most visible fish like that, like an alligator gar, like we talked about before we started recording, has suffered the same sort of thing because they're they're so visible. Absolutely. You know what I mean? It's like when you pull into your little backwater cove and suddenly you've been fishing out that same hole for years and years and years, and then one day there's just less fish there, and then this seven-foot-long thing with big, sharp teeth rolls next to you. A lot of shallow-minded people are going to be like, that thing ate everything in here. The flathead kind of gets the same thing because their mouth is big. And so you assume, and yes, they do eat big fish, but that like, it's a good point. When you think of like rough fish species that nothing else is eating, something like a carp or a quillback or larger suckers or larger shad or any like large rough fish, there has to be an apex predator. Small mouth buffalo. The list goes on and on. There has to be an apex predator, like a top-level predator, to keep them in check. If you take flatheads, I think we're talking specifically about where fish are native to as well. That's kind of an important point. When you're talking about like native range fish or where they've been there long enough that they've established themselves there, you know, you take a fish like that out and you're going to see a collapse of the ecosystem or one of those other fish is going to like proliferate to the point that it overwhelms the system. So I, t- I totally agree. I don't know why people can't wrap their head around that. It's really sad. The uh, native range of the alligator gar used to be gigantic, David. Now what do we have in the U.S.? Two good spots you can fish for them. The Trinity River in Texas. And what, there's a few spots in Louisiana for yeah. big alligator gar. I, they they used to be prevalent. We've already wiped out the alligator gar, and we're still wiping that. They're letting people bow fish. Yeah. And now what do we have left as our big predator to keep these systems in check? The flatheads. And now they're, if you've noticed, they're not getting wiped out yet. But if you notice over the decades, like I have, when my uncles and my dad started me off in it, it was really not a big deal to catch an 80, 90, or hear about an 80 or 90, 100-pound flathead being caught back in yeah. the 70s and 80s. You, we don't see 
90 and 100 pound flatheads anymore. With every it's perpetually downsizing as everybody's keeping these giants throughout the decades. We're having smaller fish mating with smaller fish, mm-hmm. and it, and it's decimating the the size of these flatheads. And people, you know, and they don't understand the amount of time that it takes to grow a giant flathead. Yeah. A 50-pound flathead is an old fish. Think how old a 100-pound flathead is. We don't let them grow that long. That's a whole different concept in Europe with those wells. Those people revere those fish. Mm-hmm. That they, they respect them. Yeah. They let them get to those giant old age. I know wells genetically get bigger than flatheads, but the way they let them, it, it keeps them at those giant sizes. We're, we're decimating our giant sizes. Well, that is a, an interesting thing about flatheads, and, and I know we spoke again about this the other day when we were just were just chatting. The records with flatheads is a really weird thing to me because you know the world record is so much bigger. There's such a giant gap between the world record, the current world record, and like you know the the next ones in line. And I I, I really wanted to bring you on here to pick your brains to figure out what like. Why is that? Like, it's not even like, I mean, it's like this insurmountable size fish, like over 120 pounds or something like that. And uh, that was, I guess, I guess a point of curiosity for me is like, well, how come no one's even come close to that? Are these fish just being culled out? Like what, what happened to them? A, a lot of the alternative guys back in the eighties and nineties did get close, but they were using alternative methods. These guys are catching these giant fish on jugs, limb lines, and trout lines. And those three methods alone has, has what has been as decimated the, the big catfish population. Yeah. And, and a lot of these, oh boy, you know, they're doing it like Pat, grandpappy told them. And then pappy told them, and they're, they're running 100 hook trout lines. They're running limb line. Now they got ditty poles. You'll see PVC plastic poles every 50 feet down a mile stretch river how many hooks in the water do you need to catch a damn fish yeah. and and the problem is they're keeping them all yeah they were taught to keep them people look at me i'm crazy for releasing a good size flathead that is the, that- yeah, i think that's the big difference maker there there's like a culture behind catfish that is you know at least that that has uh you know, it's it's like a historic culture. I think there's a growing culture in catch and release, but right now, the, like, there's this massive culture of never releasing any catfish. Like, with a like, if somebody gets caught catching and keeping a ten pound bass plus, they're gonna get run out of town by the bass community. Yes, but it is like yes. a, it, you're a weirdo. Like the, the the good old boys down in the south, if they go and they catch a sixty pound flathead. That thing is coming back home in the back of the truck so we can show the neighborhood. That's you damn like, right. That's the sad part. Yeah. Right. And then we're going to nail his skull to the telephone pole or the tree or the fence post. <laughs> I know. So that part's a crazy you know? part. It's a trophy. Yeah. But well, I, I think uh, it would the huge part that would help the cat, the uh, flatheads tremendously would be if they could shut down some of these alternative. I think in times have changed so much. We don't need people running uh, uh, trout lines. We don't need people hanging hooks in the water off of every limb and tree down the river. 
We don't yeah. need Judd floating around unattended. Uh, yeah. We don't need noodlers. We don't need people messing with the flathead noodlers. nest during their most precious time. And those people are pulling giants off the nest and ruining the eggs. When they're fighting those fish in the nest, the eggs go everywhere. That that nest uh, is ruined. Yeah. And those fish are those giant fish are the ones that put out the three-pound egg sacks with the big eggs. Mm -hmm. And when you have a bigger egg, you have a bigger fry, and you have a fish that has genetically more potential to become a giant. Yeah. You see what but I'm saying? I was really definitely interested to get your opinion on the noodling thing because i had always thought that i'm like I don't, you know i just i can't i can't get behind because people are like oh uh, you know would you ever noodle like aren't you worried about snapping turtles i'm not worried about anything in the water what i'm worried about is like you know it just it just doesn't sit right with me the idea that you know they're capitalizing on the maternal and paternal instincts of the fish to guard their nest and guard their next generation all they're doing is protecting a clutch and you're harassing a fish that, especially the big ones that are there, like they're they are sitting on top of a gold mine that's going to be the next generation of these. They big don't fish, understand, and you're jacking understand. it up. And uh, um, what's yeah. really sick, what really pisses me off, is the guys that plant boxes, oh. and then you know the fish is completely trapped by three, four, you know, and all they got to do is grab them and wrestle them out, and they're planting boxes. People will do anything to catch a flathead. They're shooting them. They're spotlighting them at night. Uh, they're snagging them. Uh, and then people are finding out where their wintering holes are. And when they stack up like cordwood in 30-foot holes in the winter, they're snagging them. Yeah. You know? Even the people that say they're catching them, they're, they're running swim baits through that deep hole real slow. Yeah, and yeah. they're hooking it in the lips or in the head or by the mouth, and they say, oh, that fish swiped at it. No, that fish is facing up current, and you ran your swim bait down current, and you're snagging him in the face. Yeah, well, people do the same thing with paddlefish and stuff, too. It's like, you know, it makes you feel a little bit better that it's a – you're snagging, but maybe it feels better that it's a lure. But, but yeah, man. Uh, <laughs> it is well, I think another thing you touched on about the noodling it is it, it is it became so popular with uh, the rise of these reality shows mm -hmm. and we had we had shows about it this hillbilly hand fishing show became yeah. real popular there was a couple others you know and then noodling just took off I mean I can see the fun of it I mean I've done it I've done it myself I've noodled Back in my younger day, when I, I and then I would see what we were doing to the stretches of rivers, these groups of noodlers that I were with, I was seeing them keep them all. And then, you know, when I'd go back through there a year or two later, I could see how decimated the big flatheads yeah. were through there from what they took. Well, at you least know, as far I was as, left with the dinks. Well, at least as far as the noodling goes, it's not. At least that's not like a nationwide. I, I don't know the legality behind it from state to state, but I'm like, if I'm not mistaken, it's it is illegal in a lot of places. Um, it is. but it I don't is. I don't know if that's for conservation reasons or, you know, I don't know. But at least at least that is not super widespread. But well, our next state over, Missouri, has made it illegal. Mm -hmm. uh, it makes me think those those conservation and uh, the Department of Wildlife guys are a lot smarter than the Kansas guys where I'm at. 
Well, I remember I fishing. Um, I remember fishing the Red River between Oklahoma and Texas for for alligator gar years ago, and uh, you know it's it was an interesting place because I think in Texas it's illegal, but in Oklahoma it's legal. And you'd see these guys. I had a, it happened to us a couple of times where we'd be fishing. All of a sudden, you see a, a head bobbing down river, and like, oh man, here comes some noodlers, and they'd work their way down the bluff side of uh, which was the. What side was that? Anyway, I think that was the Oklahoma side. But, yeah, they come noodling on our side. The hell, they probably noodle both sides. But we saw that, what you mentioned. There was, there was uh, because we went out there at times when the water was low, and we'd find these big drums. They had, like, sunk these big like metal drums under the water tied to a rope with cinder yeah. blocks. Because I kept yeah. thinking, what are these drums? And then the one year they came by noodling, then it all made sense. I'm like, that's they, yep. kind of weird. They make boxes. They sink drums. They sink yeah. those 55-gallon plastic barrels. It's sad, man. Yeah. Well, that's... Just that's so they can, and, and that's another big reason what you were just talking about earlier. You don't understand why the world record flathead hasn't been touched in 30 years. Yeah. A big part of it is because these states that produce those giants... Kansas has the world record where I live, mm-hmm. 123 pounds, Elk City Reservoir, almost near, nearly 30 years ago. And yeah. Kansas hasn't come close since it, it, because of all the the takings of the bigs. We just don't have those genetics anymore. Yeah. There's one place, there's one place that might have a shot. It's uh, Lake Tawakoni, Texas. I fished there before. That, that place grows giant blues and giant flatheads. I believe okay. a guy just a few months ago caught one near nine, a 90 pound flathead. Yeah. So there's some giants in there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so fish, some of the I... reservoirs, some of those reservoirs like that in the South have a chance. Mm-hmm. That's, that's an interesting thing. I, I think they just, they need the right, uh, they need like a, a vocal group behind them to a point. It's a, it's a weird thing because, you know, you're going to get the people that are running the trot lines and the jug lines and the limb lines, just the commercial guys that are going to come up and they're, they're going to plead their case. And, you know, Oh, this is how I support my family. And we've been doing this for generations and, you know, you're encroaching on my rights. And it's like, I don't know. That's, it's kind of enough. It, is there even like is it one of those species of fish that has any protections at all, or is it one of those like are there any seasons or like limits on them at all that you know of in any states? Because I don't um, know about them. Tennessee just did a really good thing. Tennessee, you can I, I believe. I may be mistaken here, but I'm pretty sure you can only keep one over 34. Wow. Okay. Inches. And I, I think that'd be a, one over 34 sounds fair to me in Kansas right now. One guy can take flat five flatheads, any size. So if me and mm. uh, two buddies went to this low water dam and caught him on a good night, we could pretty much clean out that dam. Yeah, we don't have huge dams here in Kansas. You know what I mean? Right. I kept five, and and Tom, Dick, Harry, and Bubba kept five. We just had a stellar night. We all kept our five of any size. We just wiped out a huge chunk of that river. You know how many we we would? I would probably say if that night happened, 
we probably took 200 years with the fish if you added the flathead ages of each fish. Yeah. Well, it's been my experience with the people who go and do that practice where they show up, they keep as many as possible, and they do that. Where the real problem is, they come back the next night and do it again. It's like, I mean, how much room do you have in your freezer? Who are you feeding? Like, I get it. Okay, you went, like, they do the same thing with the alligator gar, you know, maybe the bow fishermen before. Now they're getting some protections, but, you know, you, you used to see these images of boatloads of fish. It's like, okay, well, congratulations. You have a year's worth of food, but no, no, they're coming back tomorrow night, too. That's where you're like, what yeah. in the world are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Um, it comes back to some of those old misconceptions. Um, it comes back to, uh, these people think that these fish are magically replaced somehow. Like when the next set of rains or when the river comes up again, that hole is going to fill back up with new fish. Yeah. It shouldn't be that way. I mean, new fish do come in, but there should always be resident fish in an area. You don't kill all the residents and then wait for new residents to move in with the next set of big rains. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's a backwards way of thinking that got, down through the generations and there's so many misconceptions about flatheads mm -hmm. i mean and and you even said one of them earlier you you talked about night like in the middle of the night guess what you just as likely to catch a flathead in the middle of the day baby yeah, they yeah. love the daytime i think more big flats are caught in the daytime than the nighttime that's you another know, misconception. The biologists didn't just back in the day the biologists knew nothing about them they're a mystery yeah. fish so they said what they thought they knew about them, and it just kept carrying on through the decade. The only real people that knew about them at the time were the true hardcore flatheaders that were on the river every damn night and every weekend out there with these fish, learning the, the behaviors of the giants, you know, but yeah. none of those people were ever documented, you know. It is funny you mentioned that because, now, you know, now that you mention it, most of the big flathead photos I see online, they're never at night. I never thought about that. I guess, you know, my line of thinking is like, you know, you see this big fish that has these little bitty eyes and you assume, you know, oh, that must be a nocturnal species. But I mean, I, I guess they have such enhanced other senses. They don't even need their eyes as much. But, you know, I'll be learning as we go. Now, the misconception that I think that I think a lot of anglers lump all catfish into that same category, and it's been it's been my experience that like a a, a blue catfish and a flathead catfish are like not even comparable. And no. I I think it's the predatory nature of the flathead that I think could make them like the next big thing with with the American angler if they just realize the potential to go out and pursue them in a proactive way. It doesn't have to be a bait and wait. And I think your approach that I've seen is so badass. I'm like, I've got to try that one day. And so I want to kind of get into that. And we'll keep talking about just the fish, the fish itself. But I think the nature of the fishing is what will always is what's absolutely going to draw the interest from people who, I don't know, may not have flatheads on the radar. Because the thing that you're doing right now out of these float tubes and these I, these like I don't know if that's the right term for it. These like fishing yeah. tubes. You're like you're like floating the river in these tubes and and fishing for them with artificial lures. And I'm like, that 
is awesome. It's that is you like, gotta come, come on down, like, baby. Dude, I'm telling you, come that's on what down. I, I really want to do it. That's like hunting. Right. Like, Florida, come on up. Come yeah. on up. Yeah, that's right. Come on up and over. But uh I you know, but then I get into it. I'm like, I don't know that I've seen anybody else that's doing that. And of course, I'm you know, I'm not in that world, but it makes me wonder like how you got onto that. So just I don't know, man. Like walk me through how you got onto this tube fishing with flatheads and just the nature of the fishing, the approach, just, I don't know, walk me through all the details of that style of fishing. Cause it's so awesome. Okay. Um, well, I had a good father. He started me off. I think I was five years old and he took me bass fishing and we use these little Rapala topwater pencil baits, the original Rapala and these bass we're hitting my line and I was reeling in, you know, one and two pound bass. And ever since the first day I ever went fishing, I was hooked for life. Yeah. Well, I'd say, I think I was 12 years old. My dad got into float tube fishing back then. It was just these big circular U shaped things. And, you sat in there, you're, you're in the water about chest deep. <laughs> you could barely, you know, keep your rod up to jig, but it was still fun. And I, I think I've been tubing since I was 12 years old. And that, then, you know, I was, uh, he was a bass guy. So I was a bass and crappie guy too. And that was the end all be all. I, I thought like everybody else, catfish or trash fish you know uh, channel cats are good eating sometimes i didn't even know what a flathead was back then or, yeah <laughs> you know for a long time so long story short this one moment in my life happened i want to say it was when i was 27 27 years old i'm in a floodway canal fishing for crappie from my float tube. Yeah. I'd been float tubing this whole time and never encountered a flathead before through all my artificial journeys. This one time I'm jigging out in front of laydowns and brush piles with that. I had this two jig setup, you know, where I was just vert vert jigging right on the edges. The float tube's awesome for that. You can get right up next to all that cover and stuff. Mm -hmm. You don't have a trolling motor. You're not, it's the most stealthy style of fishing. For okay. starters, there's nothing stealthier than a float tube. Um, so I'm jigging, I'm catching some nice slab crappie, but then I get the thump, and it's what I now become known as the super thump, is what I call yeah. it <laughs> because it's a thump that reverberates through your line and through your rod, it's a jolt through your whole body. <laughs> and I feel this heavy wave just pulling on me. And it takes me on a float tube right up and down this drainage canal for 30 <laughs> minutes. I'm using like, I'm pretty sure I had 10 pound line and like it, just a nice ultralight setup. Pretty good reel drag. Uh, but this thing was taking me wherever it wanted to go. I'm very lucky he did just pull me straight back into that cover. For yeah. some reason, he went cross, cross river and I was able to just hang with him. Fighting for hanging on for dear life, wondering what the, and then I finally, I think it was 20, probably 25 minutes later, pulled up a 30 pound flathead mm. and wondering, and then wondering, what have I been doing my whole life? Yeah. 
chasing these coffee and bass. What have I been doing my whole life? Yeah. I go, this is it. Man. This is the pinnacle of fresh water. And then ever since then, I just started upsizing for my crappie stuff and learning their behaviors. And uh, I understood that they love that same kind of cover and deep, deep, dense rocks and wood like crappie. Crappie and flathead have a connection, you know, um, and I, I just it all developed from there, from crappie fishing. And uh, and I'd been on the tube already a long time, and then the two just kind of fused together. Yeah, well, that's that. That kind of answers some of the question because I'm like, well, you know, I now I know the tube actually came first, so it was like something you'd already been doing. But uh, yeah. I think the advantages kind of speak for themselves, just like tactically. But then the other side of that is probably just it just looks funner than being in a boat because you know when I see what you're doing, you know, part of me is like, why wouldn't you just use a boat like why would you just use a kayak or something but the float tube is like i think the adventure element has got to be a big part of the reason but yeah i can absolutely see the stealth the nature of the fishing is is seems so interesting to me too because it's like i mean are you are you casting or are you just dropping like into the holes and stuff that's the thing. I, it's 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 a little bit of everything. Sometimes I'm pitching to cover, and I stay a little bit away from it at first, and I'll pitch to cover, and I'll and I'll like I'll let a big soft plastic flutter down. I'll do that slow flutter fall. Flatheads always hit uh, almost ninety five percent of the time on that drop. Okay, uh, and, and I want a nice slow flutter fall drop right next to that cover. Uh, so I'll. I'll I'll pitch. I'll I I cast. I sw I swim things. I vertical. I'll tell you one thing. You're about to get me fired up. <laughs> vertical jigging. I, I would say if I had to pick one technique, vertical jigging is the number one best technique overall for flatheads. There's just something about that pop pop drop and flutter fall. That pop pop drop and flutter fall. And it just that in their face drop, even if they're in a negative or neutral state, mm -hmm. it, they just it's like apple pie. It and if it smells good and it looks good and it's dropping and looks alive, how can they not? They, they just thump it. Now, I mean, to your knowledge, are you uh, basically like like you know? Is it almost like you're searching for the fish, or are they coming to the lure, or is it more or less? you're you're finding where they're already sitting and putting it directly in front of a fish that's sitting there like are they are they like traveling over to get it or is this is like you're really working a brush pile you're really working an area of snags and like it's like searching for the fish or is it bringing their attention from 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 further away a lot of a lot of times i don't know sometimes there are cruising fish I mean, was that fish sitting on that boulder waiting to ambush or did that fish, did I just happen to pass him as he's cruising by me? Sometimes yeah. I don't know that, but I, the thing about this flow tube with artificials, that's the thing I'm it's, you're covering so many more of these spots where you can connect with one. Yeah. Whereas if you're a live bait guy and you throw out a bluegill, you're, there almost has to be one there or you have to wait a long time for one to move in. I'm actively moving, searching, jigging, pitching, casting, trying all these different things. And I, I'm 
increasing my odds because I'm putting my offerings in front of far more fish. I know there's probably fish in some of these spots and I'm not triggering them or, and they're in a neutral mood. But if I move on and keep jigging boulders and keep jigging brush piles, yeah. I'm probably going to find one that's going to thump the shit out of it. You know well, what I mean? I, it's, it's, I like like the active engagement in the process too, because like you're not just waiting on the fish. Like you're you're engaged in a lot of different ways too. Because I guess like how are you powering the tube? Like your legs are working. Your it's a full body engagement in the process. Yeah, your eyes are looking, your arms are yeah. working, your legs are move, maneuvering. I mean that's a full body experience where you're you've got to be like so keyed in on the process I, I i would it just seems way more like i don't know man exhilarating and intense than like it i don't is. want to say normal is, fishing brother. but yeah it it is it is it, it is intense and and the, the the most intensive part about it is when you're going along there jigging a big set of boulders uh, just the anticipation of that super thump i was yeah. talking about <laughs> You just uh, you'll you'll get those tingles. Uh, your senses, your flathead senses, will start tingling, and you're yeah. just like, "Oh, this is a good. I should get thumped." And you're just, you know what I mean? It's just you could get thumped at any moment. You just get the feeling you're in the right place at the right time. That's a huge part of flatheading. You just got to put yourself in the right place at the right time. More probably with flatheads than with anything because they so rarely bite. I mean, a flathead is usually only active for one hour in a 24-hour period. Yeah. And so your your key feeding windows, you have to time in on these fish. So, and that, that means you have to be out there on the water. You can't time fish unless you're out there yesterday and, and know when the active period, you know, and it's constantly changing. You have to keep constantly updating when their timing is and then that can change with the weather patterns as well with yeah. the wind with the moon with everything there's so many decisions to make yeah that that's awesome well you know what and i'm guessing by now you know you mentioned that you caught your first one on crappie gear surely there was like uh an upgrade in the in the hardware and, and an evolution oh hell yeah yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah that evolved that yeah. definitely I, I had to keep going heavier and heavier because you know is, I, uh... i'd get some of these big i'd get some of these big flatheads on and i didn't get so lucky as that first time yeah. and they'd pull me under a big concrete you mm -hmm. know a, or a big chunk of wood or a tree and game over you know so yeah, I definitely had to start upgrading my gear from there. The the gear is interesting to me too because you know you're you I mean, it doesn't help that the fish are tremendously powerful even without the hazard of the snags. But then you mix in the fact that they're so powerful and they're you know general like generally their proximity I guess is close to things that they can cut you off on, wrap you up in, and you're in a tube to where like they can pull you like you're going with them. You know what I mean? So like, what, like, what is your hardware? You know what I mean? Like what kind of line are you dropping down there? What was it like, like the, the type of gear that you're juggling with is, I don't know how heavy is the line? How heavy is the rod? How heavy is everything? Well, before we get into the gear, there's something special I need to touch on that you just touched on. Uh, how am I fighting these fish out of a tube? There's a uh, certain way I learned. I've learned that flatheads love to fight in circle, in a circular pattern. Uh, 
So the first thing I do, say I'm jigging a log jam with some gold bills, and I get that thump. First thing I do, I'm, I've got to kick, kick, kick as hard as I can. I I mean, my I, you got to have powerful fins. If you ever go float tube fishing, don't skimp on on cheap fins. You got to have good fins. Mm-hmm. That's your motor. Yeah, <laughs> you got to get them away from there as fast as possible. And and then once you get them out in that little bit of open water, I can start start spinning with my flippers. I can start. I can like say I'm in my float tube. I can spin myself like a, you're in a little U-boat. Imagine it and with your flip, and I can start going in a 360. Yeah, I start doing that same motion with the flathead, and he'll actually start doing it with me. Yeah, <laughs> and therefore, and I can I can just keep him going in a circle out there in the open water, and I can tire him out. I mean, this doesn't work every time. Sometimes they're going to just drag me into some shit and I yeah. lose them. <laughs> but the, the circular thing has really helped me catch some big ones from the tube. Getting them out just out of that cover and just letting them fight me on a, that circular pattern. And I'm 360 in my tube. This shit needs to be filmed. You need yeah. to see me doing some 360s. Ah, <laughs> uh, I'm getting fired up just thinking about it. So when that all works out, I can usually tire them out. And then, you know, I just pull them up on my legs like a landing platform. And okay. I I get to meet the beast and kiss the beast and photo the beast and release the beast. So uh, like, uh, th- what's cool is like in that type of fishing, you know, a, a lot of people, I think when they think catfishing, you're thinking rod spreads. You got like four or five rods out gear all over the place you've had to take your gear and i'm assuming like really take a minimalistic approach because you don't have a lot of room i guess dude i cannot take much on that flow tube i have two little pouches on each side and like i can throw a bucket like the tubes have like this trunk i wish i could kind of show you but i can put a like a bucket or like a little milk crate back there okay full of stuff but uh, yeah, you definitely have to minimize, but I, that is an evolution thing too. Just like my gear was an evolution. I, I learned how to, what, what do I need to take for, I'm going to go to this waterway. I need to have this, 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 and this, mm-hmm. and I need to have this jig box and I need to have these plastics. And I need to have these swim baits and I need to have these scents. And we can talk about that a little bit too. Scents are a huge part of my artificial game. I was definitely curious part. on that. I was thinking, like, you know, me, I'm like, I'd be worried I'd be dropping all my gear off. I, I'd probably lose the rod. Like, I I would tether the rod to the tube because, you know, you described pulling the uh, flathead into your lap. I'm like, where's the rod during all of this? Like, do you have something you can stick it in? Like, like <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, the tubes, the tubes sometimes come in with these little sleeves on them that you can stick your run handle down. Okay. Or, uh, there's other i've learned lots of other ways but yeah you, or you can throw it in that trunk like i said that the, the there's this little v-shaped trunk in the back of the tubes but uh or you know a lot of guys build their own um pvc some of these tubes these days if you go to a float tube form you would be freaked out they are like fully decked out yeah live scope uh, electronics all these crazy rod holes you should but compared to me and my it's just me and my tube and yeah. my flippers and, and a rod i'm very minimalistic i do have a depth finder that 
I, I have outfitted that can fit on the tube. It's a real cheap piranha. Uh, I rarely use it. If I go to a new body of water, like a little state fishing lake or an area of a reservoir I've never been to, I will use it. But I, I'd say 80% of the time I go with no electronics. Yeah. And now are you worried about like when you're when you're dropping lures down there? I know they're in like heavy timber rocks. Like, I mean, it's like it's like are you losing a lot of lures or is there like a way to yeah. prevent like uh yes. <laughs> no, we all lose a lot of no matter what you're fishing for, you uh, lose a lot of lures. Don't drop your favorite lure down I mean, there. I I I do have a favorite. Can I show you? Yeah. Simply for the matter you just discussed, right, I love okay. giant, giant. This is a big two ounce musky skirted jig. We guard, and then I can throw any plastic I want on there. I could throw a swim bait on there. I can throw some gold bills on there, and this will bounce up through some cover. Pretty, I still get snagged sometimes, mm -hmm. of course, but this helps a lot. I love, I love the big weedless. That's one of my favorite all around. And what I'll do, David, is one of my favorite flash trailers. I talked about scent. I love gold the eels, products. Yeah. The, the gold peels have caught me more flatheads than I can even describe to you. Something about this, those, those scientists of Berkeley did get something right with the, that scent they put into these things. And, uh, you know, I used to only do one, but why do one when you can do two? There you go. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and then you've got more water displacement. You've got these big gulp eels that more scent more water displacement, more vibration, just a bigger presentation overall. Yeah. Now, this uh, is an opportunity to... Wingless pigs, two gold bills, one of my favorites of all time. Now, a lot of people think that catfish like stuff that stinks, that is like rancid and like smells like absolute death. Is this true or not true? Because people think, oh, it, the stinkier and most foul, and like talk about let let letting the bait sit out and rot in the sun for a while, and that like that's gonna like attract them. No, no flatheads. <laughs> that's why I was telling you, flatheads are the sharks. They're the freshwater sharks. They want usually a live male. The like you said earlier, the people are grouped the word catfish into all these behaviors. That are totally different now channel cat they love hot dogs they love livers yeah <laughs> they love uh garlic kool-aid chicken even yeah. sometimes <laughs> the blues do even yeah. sometimes the blues like that shit the flatheads yeah. know yeah <laughs> the only time the only scent you want with a flathead is fresh live scent or like these scents that I put on my base, what I'm doing, if I'm using a giant crawdad, I'm putting crayfish oils, mm -hmm, a natural okay. crayfish oil on them. If I'm using a shad imitation or a big swim bait, I'm putting shad oils. That's the only, you want fresh, fresh with flatheads, uh, fresh cut bait. And 
even if you freeze it, not so great. If you want to do cut bait, keep it alive and cut it right when you're ready to use it. Yeah. Fresh cut and live for fly. People just, they get these misconceptions again, like we were talking about earlier, that channel cats and the blues are so different from the flatheads. Yeah. Now, I would think that like how acute their senses are, that could even work in reverse to where if you use no scent at all, like an unscented plastic, and it had that real strong plasticky smell, is that a turnoff to the flatheads? Or are they more like... Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. That's good, that's good to note. You, you want it to be as natural as possible. You want it to look alive, smell alive, act alive, give it that escape mechanism response when needed yeah you know you know the drill you've caught so many damn freshwater fish in so many places <laughs> you lucky dog you're living my dream yeah <laughs> how do i get your job all right you know what i work in a factory i think people like have this wrong idea on what i do but um i, I just try to live like a bum in the meantime but uh, <laughs> i would think that like you know it's easy to think that you're putting sense on there as an attractant but I would think it works just as much as like a masking agent. You know what I mean? Like it's a, almost it can. A, yeah, it, it does both. That, it's a double combo. You're getting rid of your human scent uh, on the lure. You're getting rid of uh, the plastisols scents. Yeah. And you're putting, and I'm sliming it up with a scent that is going to be really attractive. Imagine if you had a piece of apple pie dangled in front of your face. They, uh, uh, and but it it didn't have the apple pie smell and it, it just smelled like something totally different than apple pie would you take a bite out of it mm -hmm. yeah i think have you ever thought about that they, i mean yeah. <laughs> you want it, it needs to smell right you know what i mean the apple pie's got to smell right the doritos got to smell right anything yeah. <laughs> you throw in their face has got to smell right I mean, I'm not saying that you can't catch a flathead on a plastic without sense. I mean, a lot of times they're honing in on it with their lateral line, their other senses. You're you're moving it through across in the perfect place, and you're going to catch. I'm just saying it can, and uh, definitely up your odds. Uh, you know, when you put the scent, the right sense on the right baits, it can definitely up your odds. Yeah, it seems fast like that. Moving, fast, if I'm using a, a big crankbait, scent doesn't matter so much. I, I'm getting that swimming motion. You know what I mean? It's those yeah. slow in-your-face presentations that I'm doing where the scent really comes through. Yeah, because I would think that your two patterns there is going to be scent-based and then, like, vibration, like you said, water displacement. So if, like, it is not necessarily an application or, like, an environment where you're going to use scent, it probably needs to compensate with more vibration but um yeah i think they don't get the credit for being as savvy as they really are now these fish uh, that's curious to me uh, this is something I, I i don't know this but like is this one of those type of fish that's like do they have like uh like territories like uh, do you have like certain trees in your river systems that you know i know the fish that lives on that tree or are they always moving around they they have their territories for sure. So it's almost like musky. Bat, the biggest, baddest fish are going to be on the biggest, baddest structures next to the bait sources. I mean, they, they just, it, and it's a pecking order from there. Yeah. Now, do they sometimes let other flatheads 
a, a few flatheads can reside together on a log jam. A few big ones. A big one will let a couple more. They, it's like they're in packs, wolf packs, and these fish will even hunt together. If a lot of guys notice uh, when they got a spread out, you'll uh, sometimes or not you'll boom, boom, booms your rods. Will, you'll catch two or three real quick. It's because yeah. that wolf pack moved through there together. They hunt. People think uh, there's another misconception. We're busting so many misconceptions tonight. I know. Dave. I love it. <laughs> Flatheads are not solitary creatures. They are when they. It's time to get to their den and they have their little territorial den where they sleep at night. That's their spot. They're territorial with that, but they are social and they do. I don't know. Something clicks with flatheads and it's like they all know when it's time, like clockwork. You know what I mean? If, if guys set a bunch of jug lines or uh, limb lines, a lot of those down a river, a lot of those will get go off in, in that same hour or two stretch where there's that feeding window. There's just that flathead clock when, I don't know, they all know. And then those groups that are together, they'll hunt together and wolf pack. They'll be like four or five flatheads. I've seen this with my own eyes. I've seen three giant flatheads one time cruising the tops of weed beds that were just like two to three foot under the surface. These, these moss beds and these, I saw these giant three flatheads cruising the tops of them, hunting <laughs> bluegills on top of those. It was, it was insane. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, people, uh, a lot of people don't really uh, understand flatheads. So many misconceptions. Yeah. So disrespected of a species that deserves. They're so much cooler than a bass, man. So much cooler than a bass. I know. I know. Basket all the love. Basket all the love. Well, they, you know I think why? Because every man, woman, and child can catch a. God made bass so every man, woman, and child yeah. can catch a fit. Well, the bass already Five has heads. this like massive like marketing machine behind it. That's like this unstoppable yeah. freight train. That's like, I just I don't know. It's I don't. And I love catching bass to a point, but I do uh, too. But uh, I don't know, man. I, I catch mean, a lot of bass while I'm going for the. I catch a lot of bass while I'm and and other bycatch while yeah. I'm fishing for <laughs> flatheads. I catch big um um gar. Catch big drum, big bass, um, a little bit of everything, anything big that'll take a lure. Yeah. But, well, I know we have a mutual friend in, in uh, Josh Dolan. He's actually the one that told me to check your stuff out. And, uh, you know, he awesome, lives. man. Yeah. Shout out, Josh Dolan. Right. What's up, brother? Yeah. <laughs> well, he lives out there in Virginia, and I know they have this, like, very unique fishery for flatheads every year where they like it's like they have like this i don't know if they're migrating for a reason for like for like i don't i don't think it's a spawn thing i think they're following a migration of shad or something like that but um yeah they have a similar thing where they i've seen this cool footage in some of the rivers up there where they have like these mass groups of flatheads come up into these like rapids and the water clarity is like real clear. Really? Yeah, there's these videos of like all the like communities of flatheads together, and uh, and a lot of the guys will go up there and catch them on oh. fly rods. 
and uh, and catch them in like these big rapids and behind these big boulders with lures, sight fishing for them. Very and unique. They're way all to grouped catch. up. And they're, yeah, and they're all sick. grouped up. Yeah. Is it is this like pre winter? Are they like gathering together to go to the wintering hole? Or, or what time of year is this? I I think it's an early season thing. Gosh. We're going to have to reach out to... Okay, I don't wanna... so they just came out of the wintering holes. Yeah, but, okay. it's, but it's very predictable. It's extremely seasonal. It's it's always a very specific window of time. If I'm not mistaken, though, it's like it's right during... like it, It's like they're right on the heels because they have a... You know, it's... it's You know, the ocean is downstream. You know what I mean? It, there's And so I think it's during yeah. the migration of the, uh, the American shad and stuff they have. And um, if I'm not mistaken, it has something to do with... You know, some Virginia guy's gonna listen to this and be like, listen to this jackass. But uh I, I think it might have something more to do with them following the food source or or they stage there in anticipation of the food source coming to them. It's a very interesting dynamic. It's a very it's 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 very much all part of a system that I find real fascinating, but uh, you know, they probably don't want me promoting. I that. do too. I I would like to I, I find that fascinating too. I don't know. I don't get that in my turn. No, I, I would like to learn more about that myself. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, you'll have to, you, you have to reach I don't out get, to Josh. Uh, I, I yeah, haven't heard of too sure. many places like that. Like I, you know, when I, when I saw what they're doing there in Virginia, I'm like, that is so unique, but I can't think of any other rivers that are like that. It's like literally in like, they have like white water in there and stuff. And the flatheads come up in there. And uh, if you look it up, I mean, there's videos of it. It's very interesting. Like, I saw some video where some young guys were, like, snorkeling in the water with them. There's, like, flatheads all around them, zipping and zooming by all over the bottom, all flying around their heads. I'm like, that is nuts. But uh, I've had dreams like yeah. <laughs> I had a dream like that where I was swimming in my head. I need to go there. <laughs> Oh man, That's- yeah. Like some of the gear is interesting to me for sure because I don't know, man. Like you know, I've, like I like I was telling you, I've I've caught flatheads, but not enough to have. You know, I'm not one of those guys that's going to catch two fish and then proclaim some level of expertise. You know what I mean? I've I've encountered a small handful of flatheads, and uh, I mean, I they just left such an impression on me for like it's the fight. You know what I mean? Like. You want to talk about pound for pound fish. That's what everybody throws that terminology around too much. Pound for pound, pound for pound. Like which fish can really throw down. But like I caught a few flatheads that I was just like, wow. Like the type that you sit back in your chair, like, holy cow. Like that was a different, that was a different creature. But, you know, you throw in the element of timber and rocks and things they can break you off in. You can't be out there with like, you know, you well at least I guess you can be out there with bass gear, but you're 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 playing, you know what I mean? Like, you know, are you using like heavy leader, like like uh, monofilament? Because I'm wondering, like the whiskers, do they have issue with like a steel leader? Is there like a magnetic signature left by a steel leader that they'll pick up on? Like, do you get that nitty gritty with it? Or uh, because, you you know, you have to have some kind of abrasion resistance. I don't know if you're using like heavy fluoro um, leader on the end or, 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 or what you're doing to contend with the snags, I guess, more than anything. Well, nine times out of 10, David, I'm using 80 pound braid mainline. 
Okay, yeah. I like uh, Power Pro Super Slick 8. Okay. I don't know why. It's just really smooth and really can feel what's going on on the bottom with Power Pro. Um, and then I'm tying on a barrel swivel and a leader. Okay. And then, then I'm using the same, um, sometimes the same weight mono. I got 80 pound braid, 80 pound Andy mono leader, about two to three foot of it. It, it acts as a shock absorber. Mm -hmm. Then I tie on my lure or my giant jig or whatever. Uh, it acts as a shock absorber and it's much more abrasion resistant. You know, with braid scrapes on rock, that braid is going to cut. Yeah. That, that big heavy mono, you got to have a leader. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up. That's a huge, uh, uh, I wouldn't catch half the flatheads I did if I didn't have a big head mono leader. Yeah. And, and when you're hooking the fish, so, I'm thinking like, I, I'm thinking like when you first hook the fish, I mean, is, is it pretty much just like locked down drag and you're trying to separate them from, from that stuff? So it's like, yeah. So, so it's all. It's not even hardly even playing. Yeah. I'm like, you're you're getting the that, full brunt of their power. Right. And that that's why you need that 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 big barrel swivel, strong barrel swivel, good components. So that's your only two knots. You got your main line to your barrel swivel, and then you got this big heavy anti mono or whatever mono of your choice is. But I mean, I've learned to keep going heavier. I used to do the 40 pound braid to 40 pound leader and it just it, it had to keep going up but as i got better and i learned how these things were schooling me and uh, your best chance with a big flathead don't leave anything to chance use yeah. a at least a 60 pound mono leader yeah 40 not enough the, it, they'll they'll wrap it they'll cut it they'll they'll get into some concrete uh, those beasts, they know where every piece of cover in that river system or that creek, or the, they know exactly where to take you to to bang you out bad and to get away. It's a, their power. I'm glad you touched on that. They are one of the most powerful fish. I, it's unbelievable. When they go on the, they don't jump like a bass. Oh, heaven forbid they don't jump. So they yeah. must suck, right? They have. <laughs> And they don't give up, man. They'll pull for a long... Just when you think you got them, they'll do another bulldoze dive for yeah. the bottom. And this is when you think you got them to shore or to the tube. They'll, they'll go again. It's just... And it's... <laughs> the, the power... They have that big square tail, you know? Mm -hmm. They have that giant square tail. They're very muscular, very strong. They're like... Bill, like pit bulls or something, man. I don't know. They're... They're crazy strong. You're, you got to have big gear, especially if you're fishing near cover. Yeah. If you're fishing some open water, deep sand pit, use 30 pound tests. I don't care of it. Yeah. If, well, you, the fact that you're fighting them vertically makes it even more difficult, I feel like, because you're pulling that flat profile of their body like up. So it, it's like, you know, just their body alone is like a resistant to coming through the water, but also like your rod. Yeah. Like your rod, are you using like a, 
like a what do you use like a six foot rod? I I wouldn't think you would want this big long rod like if when you're having to pull like this fish to you. You know what I mean? Like these close quarter fights, I wouldn't think you'd you'd want like a seven foot six rod. Yeah, it's a it's a seven six actually. Okay, this is a custom custom James Burke custom rod. Uh, it it's. Seven six, and I want that because probably so you can reach into I, the holes where you're dropping it. But well, a lot of times I'm I'm traveling down edge lines. I'm traveling down uh, rocky outcroppings, uh, okay. or just uh, uh, you know riprap boulders. So I can reach out. I don't have to cast. I don't have to uh, pitch. I'm just. This far, I'm seven foot away from my tube, and I'm just pop, pop, drop. As I slowly am flipping with my flippers, cruising this edge line, pop, pop, drop, pop, pop, drop. Yeah. And so it's just uh, so I'm I'm a little bit away. I I don't want to scare fish and go over the top. I'm seven foot away. So many times I've got that thump. Just, just cruising, uh, and I'm catching them right by me. They're only seven foot away, and maybe five foot down, cruising this riprap shoreline. So it's, it's just if I had a shorter rod, then I'm closer to the rocks, and I, and I might scare something. Ah, uh, yeah, okay, yeah, now that makes you sense. See what I'm, yeah. saying? I'm just a little bit farther away from them. I can still cruise that edge line with that seven foot rod. So I'm pop, pop, drop. Pop, drop, and and I just I'm cruising and I'm jigging. If that doesn't work, then I you know try something else and yeah. or you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. That's why I like the longer rod, so I can stay just a little bit away without them feeling my the uh, water displacement on my fence. Yeah, I'm I'm being a little bit more stealthy with the longer rod. Now that makes I'm sense. Not, I'm pretty much on top of them, but I'm I'm not on top of them. Yeah, if that makes sense. And uh, now are they? You know what is so interesting about about this species is like you see these photos of them in almost no water at all, like even giant ones, and like literally in di- like what look like ditches you could jump across, and you'll see them in these <laughs> undercuts under the bank, and I, that's what always blew my mind is like what they can get themselves up into. I'm sure you saw that photo that went like viral yeah. the other day. Like it was everywhere. I opened up Facebook and this photo of this flathead sitting in this like hollowed out stump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw it. I saw it. Yeah. Oh man, it went like surprisingly viral, but it's like it really speaks to like their ability to get into things. But you know, I guess oh, they love to get in things. When the rivers come up and you have all these uh reinforced concrete pipes and culvert boxes and they love to get in the in those engineers man-made structures and up into those pipes i've caught <laughs> yeah. them out of the pipes it's crazy they'll they'll use it well now so what do you think about uh i don't know this is kind of a silly thing to even bring up in the podcast and it's, i feel like talking about it because it's like it's kind of like the ongoing joke with catfish i, I know i guarantee you anytime you talk about big catfish to like people who don't really know fishing that well. You always hear the stories of the giant catfish that live down by the dams. Like I bet, 
I bet you've probably been bombarded with that age-old story of the the divers that were down at the at the dam doing underwater repairs, and they turn around and come face to face with the Volkswagen catfish. They're always the size of a Volkswagen. Volkswagen. No <laughs> other vehicle can come. You can't do it with any other vehicle. It has to be a Volkswagen. So when you're yeah, at, that's funny. Man. So I, we, I'm sure. I'm sure there have been some divers that have gone down and seen some big cats and were probably scared shitless back in the day. But yeah. you and I both know that's a fallacy. <laughs> that the, unfortunately, the the flatheads don't get that big. I wish they did. I wish yeah. they did. Right. I just wondered, like, if you even entertain the conversation. You know, I like I hear those things. Well, alligator gar get the same thing. It's like there are certain fish that have this like folklore and like legend status behind them. The catfish yeah. is probably number one with the Volkswagen. Always a Volkswagen. It's never like yeah. a Ford or something. Can't be a Nissan. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> when when you're at like the cafe or when you're at Waffle House. And the and the server starts telling you that story. Do you just kind of like go along with it, or do you feel compelled to correct them? You just like you know, what? Um, let I, them let them believe it. I don't waste my time. I don't. Yeah, <laughs> time is too precious in this day and age. I just smile and say, "Yeah, that probably did happen." You know, yeah. <laughs> there, there's no point. If, if they're that aloof to the whole situation to begin with, there's no point. And, they don't, they don't get that, you know. They don't understand. Yeah. They just don't understand. Now, if you're in Europe and chasing those euro whales, or you're going after those giant Japanese Mekong catfish, sure. yeah. maybe you could get one like the Volkswagen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, not here. Yeah, unfortunately, you know, if if the flatheads could have some type of regulations like the blues are getting, maybe the flatheads could get big again. You know what I mean? Which we're, is we're weird. Record, like, if, if you look on catfish page, you'll you'll see 70, 80, 90, 100 pound blues. It's it's a common occurrence. Yeah, the that is weird. The same way. They're, they're not going down the same path. The blues are going down a completely different path because yeah. they're protected. That is a uh, that is a, a weird dynamic. I think we I I mentioned to you the other day on Facebook that yeah, the blue catfish record is a bizarre one. It's just gotten like astronomically bigger. It's been crushed. Yeah, and we're seeing state times. records broken all the time. Yeah. Not getting, so with the flathead. I wonder what's behind that. Like they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger, the blue catfish. Like year over year. It's like that record's not standing more than three years before getting beaten. The blues aren't nearly as affected as all these alternative methods. The mm. blues are this nomadic <laughs> species that chase pelagic bait fish. Yeah. They're, they're not so susceptible to the trout lines and the limb lines, you know. I mean, I'm sure some blues are caught on some, but you don't, you just... The blues are more protected too. They're become a tournament species. They've become a hatchery species. You yeah. see flatheads in any hatcheries? No kidding. No, there's there are none. The hatcheries don't. They don't have hatchery flatheads. Yeah, they raise hatchery blues to take care of the shad problems in many reservoirs mm -hmm. the 
the play and 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 now the blues are what the big cat tournament fishermen go for. Yeah. Uh and that has become huge. So the blues are a money making fish. The flatheads are way harder to catch than the blues, yeah. and therefore not a tournament fish. Yeah. <laughs> therefore not a money maker. Therefore, not protected. Are you starting to see the correlations yeah. here? That's why we're not seeing the giant flatheads anymore. Well, I think that blue, not, ca- that blue catfish has thing has the potential to like backfire. You know what I mean? You see blue catfish caught in California. You see them. Uh, I know. Uh, we, well, we mentioned Virginia earlier. Virginia's starting to have some trouble with the blue catfish getting crazy out of control that one's legitimate you know we talk about oh the flatheads are eating up everything but like the blue catfish in virginia is getting they make up such a massive amount of the biomass in the rivers there in like the chesapeake bay it's it's astonishing like there's so many of them that it's like incredible but uh yeah i think that's a good point the fact that they're nomadic they're wandering they're constantly moving they're just like um I don't know if they're the same way to where we're right, but exactly. And the flatheads stay in their predictable positions and are much more vulnerable to these alternative methods. Yeah. You're not going to set a trout line out in 30 foot of open water suspended 15 foot deep for blues. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to set your, you know what I mean? It just doesn't work that way. The flatheads get hammered. By trout lines, by ditty poles, yeah. by jugs, by noodlers, by by rod and reel, they're 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 in much more predictable places. They're yeah. not nomadic like that. That is why. That is exactly exactly answers your question as to why the blues are thriving and the flatheads are not. Yeah, makes uh, yeah, that makes sense. It's just uh, I don't know. It's it's sad. You know, you think like we've got our pillar species in North America are, are, are big giants. You don't want to think of our giants getting smaller or being like intentionally persecuted, but um, you know, I don't know. The blue catfish are just getting moved around. They're going to start catching that non-native hate before too long. Some areas they already are, but I don't understand the hate for, for flatheads in areas especially where they're native. To. Are they? Are there areas where they're not native to where they're kind of catching the heat. Like I don't, I don't know that they're being moved around like the same way. Uh, the the latest areas I've heard of are from your home state of Florida. I mean, yeah. See, I didn't know if they were native or not, but there's a big culture like the cat. There's a big culture of, of uh, flathead guys in northern Florida that love them. So I didn't know if they were. You know. Well, I mean, how long do they have to be there before they become native is the question. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's true. But I didn't know if they had always been there, you know. In some areas, they're no, just coming they back where they used to be. So We haven't always been native to the U.S. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, we can go way down that rabbit hole, but. <laughs> so. I don't know, man. It's it's an interesting one. That uh, I feel like at least now, I don't know what I've seen. When I, I'm I'm probably relating this more towards gar and bowfin and even carp. This like renaissance or like there's this new type of thinking that's a little bit more accepting 
of those species now more than it used to. I don't know if it's the river monsters effect, but there's like you see a little bit more people wanting to go out and experience different kinds of fish maybe than you used to 20 years ago even. Um, so I guess that's worth something, but, um, you know, well, yeah. and that's what I'm trying. That's what I'm trying to do, David. I'm I'm trying to show people how that's my whole cause. I'm trying to show people how special these fish are, how beautiful they are. You know, I catch the prettiest flatheads. I'm totally blessed by God. I don't know if you've noticed, but I catch the prettiest flatheads in the country. Yeah, I, they're I gorgeous. Would, I would agree to that. <laughs> um, they're they're beautiful in their own way. Some people are going to always think they're ugly, but they're you and I both know they're beautiful. Mm-hmm. They fight incredibly hard. They they are a they're an apex predator. It's just it's so important for all for the whole ecosystems, all our fisheries to have. We don't have very many of those apex predators left. Yeah, you know. The bass take care of, you know, some the bluegill population and, and the smaller stuff. What takes care of the bass and the gar and the buffalo and the carp and the drum and the quilt? You know what I mean? There just has to be those big predators in our systems. And people don't understand how important that is for a healthy system. Yeah. I think you nailed they, it they, right they, on the head. They've been they've misled to think that these big predators eat the system out. That's yeah. not the way it is. They don't. They keep it in check. Nature's way of checks and balances. Yeah. I think you nailed it right on the head early in the conversation when you said that people are using them as a scapegoat for why they everything. Are. Yep. For, uh, for human greed. No yeah. human is going to blame themselves. Yeah. Listen, uh, and I even used to have this mind thought. How could I myself personally, as one single human being, hurt a fishery? Well, I probably can't. But when you take me, Tom, Dick, Harry, Bubba, and what everybody else is doing to that fishery, it, it's a cumulative fact that can, you know, it's it's what's destroying fisheries today, greed and gluttony. Yeah. Well, you can do something also just from an engineering standpoint and install a dam onto a river and 20 years later, some fish will significantly benefit from that dam installation while many others, you know what I mean? A lot of human-related changes can can really have massive effects. So, you know, you wonder if it, it just transcends so much deeper and far beyond one fish is eating too many of the other fish. It's like, no, the problem is way, 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 way deeper than that. We got to start pointing fingers at selves. It's too easy to say the big, scary catfish is eating up all the bass. It's, they, you know. they ate all my red ears. Them, yeah. them catfish ate up all my red ears. Yeah. <laughs> no, buddy, you and your you and your brethren did that. Well, they always say, we used to be able to fill three coolers. You used to do yeah. what? <laughs> you used to yeah. do what? <laughs> yeah. Say that again that was slowly. Back in the, that was back in the good old days when, when we had gigantic non-dammed rivers and we and the fisheries. Every year, it, it's sad. I see the diminishing qualities of our fisheries. I've been fishing for damn near 50 years. 
and I, I've only seen diminishment. I've, I've seen very few fisheries that have had a surplus of anything. It, it's all been downhill. And that needs to change. The regulations need to change. There can't be a one-size-fits-all regulation for every waterway either. They can't say in Kansas, you can keep five of any size. That's good. That might be good for a reservoir, but that is not very good for a small waterway. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, people should. A reservoir has the capacity to handle a certain amount of of pressure and and harvest, whereas a smaller uh, state fishing lake is not going to be able to sustain that same kind of pressure. Yeah. People shouldn't want to fill three coolers full of fish anyway. Like that was always the line that got me. It's like, I used to, me and my grandpa used to be able to fill up five stringers. I'm like, what? Okay. Say that slower and realize that maybe the act of constantly and consistently filling buckets full of fish might have been the problem. (laughs) Maybe you were the reason the fish went away. No, it's not a limited resource. People think they're they're fishers. They're just just not biting anymore. (laughs) Yeah, they're not biting. (laughs) (laughs) It can't be me. There's a lot of stupid people in the world, unfortunately, David. Yeah. And they just they don't they they don't realize what they're doing. Yeah. Well, I don't know, man. I, I think I feel like you have sold the idea of catfishing really well, even in this conversation. And to me, like your photos, that that tube fishing something I want to try probably within the next, you know, I don't know, year or two. I got a lot on my wish list of things I want to do. You know, yeah, what I mean? you get to gallivant all over the world, you lucky bastard. On your little travels of gallivanting, <laughs> come see me. Yeah. Well I need to I need to do some things here in the States before I start getting all crazy ambitious again. I've never caught a muskie. I want to do the stuff with the flathead that style so bad. Even <laughs> even the alligator gar fly fishing for the alligator gar or or with lures. But um, but but in any case, you know, I don't think you're one of these guys that's big hot shot trying to be Mr. Uh, Instagram hero. But is there a place where people who might be interested in seeing what you're doing um, can go to see some of the photos, some of the I don't know, like the, the tube setup? Like it's it's an interesting style of fishing Now people listening are going to want to see it. So, like, is there a place I don't know if you're on Instagram? Facebook, anything like that where people might be able to find you. I'm basically not on nothing. I I'm Keith Severns on Facebook. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? That's Seriously. Probably, the better, probably the better way to do it anyway. I I've had so many people ask me, why don't you guide? Why don't you take people on these float tube adventures? Um I wish I could. I really do. I, I would love to teach children how to fish i'd love to do like some type of fishing school yeah you know there's a lot of single moms these days they don't know how to teach the, their little boy how to fish i'd love to have like a fishing clinic or something or and people are always asking me why don't you guide i i can't the the waterways in wichita are so limited i, I have like the little arkansas river and the big arkansas river Everybody knows where the holes are at and the good. Yeah, I don't. 
I make it look like I'm fishing in West Virginia, like Josh Nolan, where the, the flatheads yeah. do that. <laughs> I make it when the people see my pictures, they don't realize the time uh, that it takes me. I, I'll like go out for three, four nights in a row. It's it's like musky fishing, the the fish of ten thousand casts. Mm-hmm. I would say flathead fishing with artificials is the fish of fifty thousand casts. It, it's it's like musky fishing, but harder. And and who's into that? Who wants to do something harder? Everyone yeah. wants the easy way these days. You know what I mean? That that's why you said I don't see anybody like you in a float tube. Fishing for flatheads with artificials. Guess what? It's super it's hard. hard. Yeah. I can't go out there and just you. I have to be prepared to go out on a float tube for you know sometimes eight ten hours and expect maybe one good bite. Yeah, it, it's it's a dedication thing. It's just a passion I have. I, I know I could go sit on uh, put a, a big light bait under a balloon. And, and catch a big catfish with live bait. That, that's not that hard. Mm-hmm. I've decided uh, that I love the challenge of catching these fish with artificials. I think it's awesome. Yeah. Well, there's definitely a lot of anglers out there who that's that speaks more to them, and that gets them more excited than the idea of than the idea of going in and it being easy. There's definitely a culture of anglers who appreciate the hunt and they want it to be earned. And they want it to be a challenge, albeit it seems like a very small group of anglers. But um, you know, I think I, I I think that you've probably I don't know, man. Like it is a style of fishing I want to do big time. You know what I mean? So, Hell uh, yeah, brother! I bet you do. But I just uh, I bet you do. You go after wolf fish. You go after arapaima. <laughs> you go after. You've probably caught glass grouper too, haven't you? Oh yeah, I can catch them off the beach just. 30 minutes That's a home. dream of mine. <laughs> hey, man, you want to do a trade a trip? We can, we can trade. I'll, you know what's I funny? Take you, I take you float to flathead fishing. You take me for grouper. We can absolutely make that happen. The Goliath Hell group- yes! Yeah, you know what? The, the Goliath grouper is sort of like the saltwater version of the flathead catfish. Exactly. Like exactly. People do the same exactly. thing. With them. Oh, they're eating up all the fish. It's just like, you know, it's just, it is a blessing and a curse to be the biggest fish that swims. Everybody loves you and everybody hates you. So, right. But anyway, Keith. Well, the reason I, I was touching on the reason I don't guide, um, I just, I have very few good fisheries left around here in wichita kansas Mm. by the way come to wichita and try to catch a fish it's not easy everybody around here takes 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 there's no releasers yeah um i can't take people guiding they will learn my spots they will learn everything i i why would i hurt i I do it for the i could make a bunch of money off of flatheads I'm not going to do yeah. that. I love flatheads too much. That that's what I was trying to tell you. That's why it, I'm not rich and making money at what I do. I I I'm doing this for the passion of the flatheads because I love them so much, and that's why I don't take people to do this. Yeah, or, or I, my I, I'd be wiping out my own flathead populations. Yep, I've met a lot of guides who very quickly realize how fast they get burned 
by their clients that that come in and fish their spots right after booking trips with them and they just get burnt out on it and it becomes burdensome. I I couldn't I couldn't do the guide thing. I don't know, man. It's just I fish solo. I like to be alone. I love to take people and teach them things and show them stuff, but I I can't be burdened with where fishing like I I have to put people on the fish. Like, you know what I mean? Like people who come with a guide, I feel like they want the fish. They don't necessarily care as much about the experience. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I just, I couldn't do it. I I could maybe do one-off trips here and there with people. But uh, if I was doing that every yeah, single day. Yeah, what am I going to do? You know, and how am I going to guarantee these people anything? Like, I, you're going to have to come three nights in a row with me, and we might get a flathead bite. You know what I mean? That's the flatheads, uh. you know what I mean? That's just the way flatheads are. Yeah. They're very snake-like. A flathead can eat a big meal and sit on it for a week if it mm. wants to. Flatheads are very snake-like in that manner, especially in the colder water periods. Yeah. They they can a flathead can eat a two-pound carp and sit on it for two weeks. Yeah. You're not gonna catch that flathead. Well, that's but you might that catch also... another flathead that doesn't you might catch another big flathead that doesn't have a Big yeah. carp digesting in its belly. Well, you know what? That also kind of dispels this idea that they're these gluttonous feeders that are never going to turn down a meal and they just eat, 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 eat. No. Eat. So. No. But. That's the thing about flatheads. Even if uh, you got a creek, and let's say it's getting overrun with flatheads, the flatheads will keep themselves in check. The flatheads will eat other flatheads if need be. Yeah. That's how good their systems of checks and balances are. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know, man. I I think it's absolutely one of the most badass fish in the entire country. Um, you damn right, brother. I'm so glad you recognize that, man. Yeah. They they are so badass. They're so cool. Uh, they keep our fishery. One thing I want people to get from this is how important they are to our freshwater fisheries. Like we said, the the gator guard are basically gone in most systems. We have nothing left to keep our, besides humans yeah. who do a lot of taking, uh, we have nothing left to keep uh, all the other stuff in check. We, you can't just have all non-predator species in waterways. It's not healthy. Yeah. That's why we need wolves. That's why we need, you know what I mean? The whole yeah. balance of nature the freshwater system depends upon the flatheads. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's something to be said for chasing the fish that sits at the top of the heap. You know what I mean? At the top of the food chain. And uh, I don't know, man. It, adventurous anglers need to start putting that species on their radar a lot more than what I'm seeing. Um, but Keith, dude, I appreciate your time. I think you've pitched the idea of the, you couldn't, I couldn't have picked a better, like, catfishy type of dude to come on here and talk about him. Cause some folks, <laughs> some folks aren't going to want to sit and listen to bait and weight methods, but it's like, we're sitting, we're talking about an active predator and man, you're the way you do it is couldn't be more badass. The fish look awesome. The dark ones, those crazy yellow ones, the like scarred up, awesome looking fish. Uh, <laughs> man, I, I really appreciate your time and I appreciate your patience with some of our technical difficulties. Um, uh, it was wasn't nothing but a thing, man. Hey, I could I could talk flatheads all night, brother. Yeah. <laughs>
Well, next I week really is even do it. And yeah, absolutely. If you're ever in Florida, that offer would be on the table 100%. The Goliath groupers are, you know, people. you see the people that catch them out of the boats, you know, the big muscle people, and they're doing the little viral videos. It's so much funner. I've got spots where I can catch them out of canoes and mangrove creeks. I've got spots where I can catch them from the beach. You're just chilling out in a beach chair. And then you get these great photos where you're like, you know, got this damn giant grizzly bear fish like right in front of you in, in the shallows. But uh yeah, I mean that's that's an easy one. I actually I get a lot of people, a lot of overseas guys that reach out to me asking if I would take them to do that. I'm like, man, there's there's something to these Goliath grouper. But um anyway, there man. I, I want to do it. Well, it's let, my dream. Let's be. I, I want to do it. Let's be. Put me touch. on the person in your list. You got to take me grouper fishing. Well, let's be in touch off the record on setting up something. I because I'm I'm down. And if if you have a if you have a hard time in winters with the catfish, winter time is the best time to catch the Goliath. So really, we can, we can we can make it happen. Awesome, man. Awesome. All right, Keith. Well, I appreciate your time, man. Thank you, man. It's been a, it's been an honor, man. You're a uh, you're a stand up dude, man, and you got something good going, man. I like what you're doing. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you, man. Have a good one. All right, brother. Later. Thank you for listening to Boundless Pursuit. Tune in each week as we bring stories and insight from uniquely talented anglers and outdoorsmen. And if you enjoyed this show, I want to hear from you. Be sure to leave a five-star review as this is going to drive the growth and exposure of this show. And if you have feedback or guest suggestions, I would love to hear from you. And you can reach me at boundlesspursuitfishing at gmail.com. For all other collections of media and contact information, please visit www.boundless-pursuit.com.